on a series the last couple of weeks entitled The Rest of Your Life. And we've been examining the scriptures and learning about the promise of God's rest that is available for us today. Believe it or not, God has not created you and I to live in a place of anxiety, to carry the weights of this world. He wants you at rest. Consider some scriptures that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says, Now the promise of entering God's rest is still for us today. And so we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did. This is referring to the people of Israel who are a people of promise, but they failed to step into that. Watch why. Yet they didn't join their faith with the word. They didn't believe God and his word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, watch this, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. You know, God's word is very telling as to the manner in which we tend to live life. For most of us, if we're just honest with ourselves, when we think about rest for our lives, we don't think like God does. We don't think along these lines. We're thinking of in one of two ways as it pertains to life. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We're thinking about the rest from our labors in the form of a day off, right? I mean, who doesn't look forward to a day off, right? We're thinking in the, in the form of vacation time, right? I know some of you plan and you're looking forward to that vacation next year. Why, why wait to rest until then? You starting to get a picture of this, right? Or uh, we, we, you know, we... Think about the, we, we, we think along the lines of setting some things down that stress us, right, that are weighing us down, those things that perplex us. But the problem with all these things, the, all these approaches is that they're temporary solutions. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We go back to the grind of work after day off, right? We return to the hustle and bustle after vacation. We pick up the weights that we set down temporarily, and we don't do what God's word tells us, which is to enter into his rest for our daily lives. There's another train of thought that leads us to think about rest. It's rest along the lines of, uh, of uh, planning for tomorrow. We're thinking about the rest of our lives. We're planning today for tomorrow. We're working ourselves into the ground in hopes that we'll be able to one day have a few years above the ground when we retire. Right? We're striving to survive. We're running on the wheel of life like a hamster, and we're going at top speed by, while not getting anywhere quickly. And the truth is that we don't do what God's Word tells us, which is to enter into His rest for our daily lives. It's the reason why Jesus says to us, and I, I want you to turn with me in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen to what He says. He says, come, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But listen, he's not talking about a day off. He's talking about something very different. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls within. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, rest can never be achieved by the recurring things that we think we need to do to get there. 
Rest is not a matter of the outward things that we strive for that we believe lead us to rest. Rest can only be achieved in the soul by way of a personal relationship. One where you're learning and going somewhere with God. The words of Jesus in Matthew 11 were spoken to a people that were truly in crisis. You know, the majority of Jewish people in those days, the people that Jesus was reaching out to, that he was speaking to, these people lived hard lives on a daily basis. They lived under the harsh rule of Rome. They, they, they dealt daily with the burdens imposed on them by the, imposed on them by the religious elite who, who uh, pushed them to this place where they thought they had to live uh, under perfection according to the law, all, the, all, all at the same time abusing them spiritually, emotionally, and even financially. And in addition to that, they were lacking some of the most basic human needs that they had, like food and water and shelter. And so I'd like you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment and imagine hearing the words of Jesus that we just read in Matthew 11 in your moment of crisis. And I want you to consider, how would you react to those words? Would you leave his presence with confidence that all is well for life? Would you cease from worrying and grinding to work it out on your own? Would you let your weights go? Would it actually lead you to a place where you trust him more than you trust in your problems? See, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's get a little bit more personal here. In the face of your current day-to-day circumstances, right, in the face of the daily struggles that life may throw your way, I'd like you to consider this. Are you worrying? Are you striving to survive? Are you hoping for peace? Are you claiming to trust Him, but relying on your own efforts? See, our response to these questions bring us to a point where we really can look within our soul. And we can see if we're actually entering into the rest that Christ promises us. Let me ask you a simple question today. Are you at rest? Be honest with yourself. Consider that for a moment. Today I'd like to invite you to engage in a conversation with God through his word. The reason why I say that is because I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm here to point you to the Word of God, and believe it or not, God is speaking to your heart. And so let's look to His Word. Today we're going to talk on the topic, it is well. Say that with me, it is well. Let me ask you a question for personal reflection. What could your life look like if that was your reality? What would it look like? Not saying it isn't. Not saying it isn't, but if the shoe fits, it's time to change it, right? And so the words of Jesus and what we read in Hebrews 4 denote that we can and we should live life in a perpetual state of rest. That we don't have to live with the anxieties and the weights of this world that we pick up on a daily basis. Those that we've been conditioned to. The scriptures actually point us to the reality that we can enter his, his rest and embrace his rest as a way of life. So the Bible records a moment in the life of a woman from a place called Shunem who was struck with tragedy. This tragedy was a great one. You see, it was the loss of her only son. 
And it came in a tragic fashion as she held her son and had him on her knees as she was embracing him. His life came to an end. His life seeped from his body as she held him. And her story, while initially tragic, is truly powerful and provides us seeds of wisdom that we would be wise today to plant into our hearts so that we too can actually live in a state of of rest despite our moments of crisis. And so according to the scriptures, there came a day when her son was out with his father in their fields. And the scriptures say that this son comes running to his father with a pain that was in his head. The scriptures say that he says, my head, my head, my head. And the father's response was to turn to one of his servants and say, take the boy to his mother. Isn't that typical of dads? (laughs) Ah, Lord, forgive us. (laughs) But here's the thing. So the servant takes him to, to his mother and the mother grabs her son and she, she comforts him and she puts him on her knees and she's holding him in her, in her embrace. And, and while she's doing this, her son dies in her arms. And in this moment, all appears hopeless. I'd imagine that there is no parent who would not struggle with a sense of helplessness, overwhelming grief, and the hurt at the reality of this loss. And while that may have been the case for this woman on some level, the scriptures reveal that this woman had a depth of strength and power that welled up from deep within her. It derived from a place that was deeper than her pain and her reality. And upon the death of her son, the scriptures say that this woman called for a servant and she instructed her servant to take her to the prophet Elisha. And as she was leaving, her husband takes note that she's leaving. And he says to her, he questions, the scripture says, why are you going to Elijah? Why are you going to him? It's not even the new moon and it's not the Sabbath. In other words, there's no religious reason that you would have to go to Elisha. And her response to her husband is interesting because the scriptures record that she said, it is well. Mind you, her son, their son lays dead probably in a cart, on their way to go see this guy, Elisha. And she says, it is well. Here's a good question you're probably considering. Why? How is that possible? We're going to talk about that. And so the scripture says that as she approached Mount Carmel, where Elisha resided with his servant Gehazi, that Elisha sees her from afar off, and he sends Gehazi with a message to her, and he asks, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And her response to Elisha by way of Gehazi is, it is well. Now, upon arriving before Elisha, the scriptures say that she fell at his feet and that he perceived that her soul was in great distress. Shortly, you know, in the the midst of all that, she's bearing her heart out to him. She's saying, the son, the only son, the son that God used you to reveal to me this promise, this son of mine is dead. You know, the scripture says that Elisha looks at her and he goes, she's in deep distress. And, you know, my first thought when I first read this and as I was studying it was, duh, of course she's in distress. Who wouldn't be? 
But then something else began to develop in the recesses of my mind as the Holy Spirit began to point something out to me. Something that I feel is very important for us all to consider. And it's this, it's that while she was in great distress and unrest, she was well. She was well. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of fries my brain because I'm like, how is that even possible? And we know this because the scriptures do not record that she ran to her friends like some of us do, right? The scriptures do not record that she wailed and moaned in her loss and she got all in her emotions. The scriptures do not record that she started to make burial arrangements. Instead, it tells us that she picked up her son. She declared it as well. And then she went to the place that she had heard from God and encountered him. Let me tell you what I mean by that. This guy, Elisha, wasn't just like a pastor or something. In those days, before Christ, before Christ came to the earth, God's spirit did not reside in people like it does today. The scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive and at work in you. So if you know Christ, listen, God is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But in those days, the Spirit of God would come upon certain people, a select few people. And so Elisha was God's man amongst the people of Israel. He was the one through which God would speak to his people. Miracles would happen through this man. And so it was, he was a pretty big deal, right? And so the reason why I point that out is because this woman went to the very person, the very place where she had experienced a personal connection with God. And this teaches us a valuable lesson. Mind you, she's in distress, and yet she's well. This teaches us something. It's just that you can be in distress and still be at rest. Let me say that again. You can be in distress and still be at rest. But in order to understand how this is possible... We have to examine the scriptures. We have to look to the, the backstory to her life. We have to understand what it was, those details in her life that led up to this moment and learn the role that those details played to help her remain in rest while distressed. You see, this woman's journey with God did not start at the place of her dire need and distress. It didn't start there. For some of us, if we could just be honest, that's when we turn to God. That's when we seek God. But I submit to you that we learn something differently from this woman. See, she had a wellspring of history with God to draw from. So deep was her relationship and experience with God that when she was faced with the loss of her son, she was prepared and able to overcome Let's read her backstory and see what we can learn from it. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to read verses 8 through 17. It starts off by saying, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now. I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. 
please, let us make a small upper room on the wall in their home. And let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to, uh, uh, he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I'm good. I'm okay amongst my own people. I don't need any recommendations. I'm, I'm well. And so he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son. And her husband is old. Now, this is a big deal in those days because in those days for a woman to be barren and without children was looked upon shamefully. It was, it was believed that you had committed some sort of sin, that you had done something wrong, that somehow you had offended God. So there was a lot of shame and, and condemnation and guilt associated with that. And so verse 15 says that Elisha said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. No, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. It seemed impossible to her. But verse 17 says that the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. So according to the scriptures, it's important to note that this woman was notable. That word notable in the Hebrew speaks of greatness. It speaks of someone of great importance. It speaks of someone who possesses great means of wealth. So she was well off in every regard of her life. And while she had respect and admiration of people, and while she was important, and while she had great means, we find that none of that was enough for her. It wasn't enough for her. She wasn't content with that. She recognized a need for something greater than all her greatness. She saw a need for God. So when she noticed that Elisha, this man through whom God spoke and operated, when she noticed that when Elisha would come through regularly through a town, she, she decides one day, I'm going to extend him an invitation and just see if he might sit here with us and eat. you got to understand the magnitude of that. She's inviting the presence of God, right? But at this invitation, the door that was open proved to open to so much more. See, eating with Elijah and having moments with God who worked through him did not suffice for her. She decided she wanted permanency with the presence of God. She wanted permanency with understanding from God. She wanted permanency with power, with the power of God. She wanted God in her life completely. See, she had no interest in God's power and presence coming and going in and out of her life. And so she made room for him to stay, which leads me to my first point that I want to leave you with here today. When you make room for God's presence, you'll find rest in your present circumstances. I'm going to say that again. It's a very important point. 
when you make room for God's presence, you'll find rest in your present circumstances. My friend, too many believers today believe incorrectly. And and when I say believers, I'm not just talking about you, church folk. Everybody believes something. But there are too many of us who hold to our beliefs, but we fail to realize that we believe incorrectly. You see, we see intimate times speaking with God as unimportant. Moments of reflecting in God's word and times when we appreciate God and express our love to him, we see them all as a waste of our time. You ever told yourself this? Man, I just wish I had time. Therein lies our mistake. See, we fail to realize that depth with God determines rest in trying times. See, you can't go nowhere and you can't draw from a well that you haven't first dug. And oftentimes we turn to God in our calamities, and and I'm not saying that God is absent. No, God is present. He was there when it happened. Some of you might be questioning, well, how come he didn't do anything about it? The question is, how come you didn't do anything about it before you got there? See, relationship with God determines how far we go and how we overcome. The scripture says that what we do in secret before God, he will reveal openly. See, when all hell broke loose in her life and her son lay dead in her arms, her distress could not take her from her place of rest. Listen, it actually drew her to it. It drew her to it. This woman had strength. A strength that, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us can't even fathom being able to pull from within ourselves, from God, in that moment. She didn't go to a doctor. She did not rely on the people, on other people to go to God for her. You know what that's called? Prayer. Could you pray for me? Because the more people that pray, God will hear more clearly. That's what we think. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that you and I can go boldly before his throne. And that therein we find grace and mercy for all those situations. The scripture says that you are to cast your care upon him because he cares. God hears you clearly. Do you have that confidence? She didn't allow herself to be overcome with anger and grief and anxiousness. No, she went to the place of rest. I like the way... Uh, The psalmist David, King David, puts it in Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. He says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let you, uh, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. You know, it's interesting. This psalm is one of 15 psalms that begin in Psalm 120 that are identified as songs of ascent. 
It's believed that these psalms in particular are recorded songs that Hebrew pilgrims would sing as they ascended through mountainous terrains, as they traveled towards Mount Zion to worship the Lord during three prescribed times in the year. And what we see in Psalm 121 is David's song, which records his experience as he undertook his own ascent in search of the Lord. Let me point out some things to you that he says. We see that he lifted his eyes. He lifted his eyes. As he sought the Lord, David looked beyond the circumstances of life. Get what he did. He says, I'm out of here. I need to leave this place and then I need to go to the Lord. What a beautiful picture. What, a, what imagery it gives us of our need to rise above the circumstances of life. If you want to go higher in life with God, you have to look higher than life itself, ladies and gentlemen. You got to look beyond life. You got to look beyond the challenges. You got to get past your feelings. You got to get past the opinions of people. Some of us just need to just straight up burn those bridges, hang up some phones, right? Block some people. Like seriously, we need to do that. The second thing we see is that David became aware of his help. He says that, it, it, that he looked to the mountains. Where does his help come from? And then he, he gives us this long list of how God is his help. As he looked above the daily ground of life, David testifies to his awareness of our ever-present God and his mighty hand at work. Listen, you may not feel it. You might not see it. That God is present with you right now. Can I say something to you, my friend? The fact that you woke up and you took a breath says that God's not done. God has purposes for your life. What we also see is that David found rest, a reason to rest. In his words, he says, he's my shade. He keeps me from harm. He watches over my coming and going forevermore. See, making room to be in God's presence should not be a religious affair. Shouldn't be a religious affair. You know what a religious affair is? It's when we come and go. It's when we turn to God in hope and then turn our hopes elsewhere. It's when we talk to God about our situations, but then we, we, we decide we just need to help God along the way. Right? It's an affair with religion. Listen, we're cheating on God. We're cheating. We think that somehow the, the, the spiritual hula hoops and the acrobats that we do because we raise hands, because we go to places that we think is the church, when the scripture declares you are the church, Amen. right? We, we, we bind to this mindset that if I, just, if I just read my Bible, I'm better for God. If I just behave this way, I'm better for God. If, if I just work on myself and change myself, what do you need God for then? See, life becomes that way when we keep our eyes on life instead of God. And if you're turning to God but looking elsewhere, my friend, 
you're not turning to God at all. See, making room to be in God's presence is about raising our awareness of God. Listen, to do that, we have to lift our sight above life, but listen closely, stay there. Stay there. As you read God's word and you learn day in, day out, stay there in that revelation. As you think about God's hand and how he's working in your life and what he's brought you through, stay there. As you turn to God with your requests and seek direction and wisdom from him, stay there in that place of dependence. Listen, this woman did everything possible. She tore down walls. She made renovations. She called contractors. She incurred costs. She shifted her comforts. She rearranged her home, her dwelling, to make room for God's continued presence in her life. Time wasn't a factor. Priorities weren't a factor. People weren't a factor. Money wasn't a factor. Schedules weren't a factor. And as a result, listen closely, when life took a turn for the worst, she did it. If you want to live in Christ's rest for the rest of your life, listen closely, it it depends, it begins with the daily discipline of doing whatever it takes to keep your awareness of God intact. Now let me speak to some of you church folk. It's not devotional time if it doesn't lead you to a devoted lifestyle. Because, you know, we, we do our devotional, but does it lead you to live in devotion throughout the day? I mean, think about this. We got to be real with ourselves, man. Look, I'm going to tell you honestly, man, because I, I, I don't have it all together either. But let me tell you, man, sometimes devotional is just a check in the box. I've been there. There's some times that we wake up and we're so focused on our day that we just, oh, you know, let me just take some time with God. We read some scriptures and we, we write down a little note and, and, and we check it off, but it doesn't impact us for the rest of the day. It doesn't change our, our belief system. It doesn't change how we're perceiving our circumstances. It doesn't bring healing and hope and strength. And why? It's because we don't stay there. The next point I want to leave you with here is that when you have a promise from God, you don't have a problem in life. Let me, let me say this again. Let me say this again because we really got to dig into this. Listen, when you have a promise from God, you don't have a problem in life. This woman had a real dilemma. Can we agree? This really happened. I'm not, I'm not ignoring, I'm not dismissing the pain of this. Look, this really happened. Her son was dead. But before this problem ever presented itself, this woman had a promise. A promise that God would give her a son in the most impossible of situations. Remember, her husband was old. In other words, the scripture is telling us this wasn't going to happen. So she has this promise that, that she's seen fulfilled. 
But I want to point something out to you. This woman had one promise that the Bible records. And I don't know if you know this, but the scripture has over 3,573 promises that God has given you and I. She had one, and look at what happened. See, when you know what God has promised you by his word, you don't have a problem. What you have is an opportunity to see God come through in a great fashion in your life. A great fashion. This woman had lived with the shame and the ridicule of being childless according to the culture and times. But she had received a promise promise from God. And so when a problem arose that challenged that promise, she didn't cower in fear. Nor did she act out of haste or her emotions. Instead, she held on to the fact that this son could not die because God had given her a promise. A promise. A son who she was bearing witness to the fulfillment of God's promise to her. Let me encourage your heart and your faith today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. And this is an important portion of Scripture because oftentimes when we read of the promises of God or we hear of the promises of God, we question in the recesses of our mind, can that be true for me? Listen to what 2 Corinthians 1, 20 says. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Listen closely to what the scripture is saying. Let me interpret that for you. If God promised it and you're questioning it, his answer is still yes. That word amen there means so be it. So be it. So be it unto you. So let me encourage your faith with something. You're not going to see these up on the, script, in, on the screen. Just I want you to consider them. Maybe you want to jot them down. Genesis, according to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, let me tell you what you are not. You are not a mistake. You are not broken. And you are not a mess up. Let me tell you why. Because you are a masterpiece that has been made in God's image and you bear his likeness. According to Exodus 33, 14, you are not alone, so you have no need to feel lonely because his presence goes with you continually. According to 1 Samuel 14, 6, you are not helpless because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving you, whether many or few. According to Nehemiah 2.20, you are not a failure. You are a success because the God of heaven has deemed that you, were, you will succeed. According to Esther 4.14, you have not missed your calling and what God wants to do through you because he has called you for such a time as this. According to Job 19.25, you are not done because your Redeemer is not dead. Your Redeemer lives and stands high upon the earth. According to Psalm 118.17, you shall not die, but you shall live and declare the works of God. According to Psalm 32.8, you are not confused and lacking direction because the Lord instructs you and teaches you in the way that you should go. According to Psalm 103 verses 11 through 12, you have no need to, to live in guilt and shame because God's love for you is great. 
And as far as the east is from the west, so so has he removed the stain of sin from you. He declares you are holy. Romans 8.18, according to Romans 8.18, you may be suffering, but your suffering does not compare to the glory of God that is to be revealed through you. According to 2 Corinthians 2.14, you are not a victim at the hands of others. You are a victor because Christ's victory is your victory, and he's leading you in a triumphal procession. According to Philippians 4.19, you are not broke. You are blessed and provided for because God provides for you according to his riches in Christ Jesus. According to Colossians 1.12, you are not unqualified because the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people, his saints, in Christ Jesus. And according to Colossians 3.1, you are not down because you have been raised with Christ. Listen, God declares yes over every promise in your life. Can I, can I share something with you guys? You might be going, man, I, I never heard some of this stuff. Or maybe you have. Can I tell you that I got it from the same place you can? It's in his word. I remember a couple of weeks back there was a young man who was here and he came after, I think it was whatever service it was, he came to me and, and he says, man, thank you so much, man. I'm just so encouraged every time I come here. I've been checking you guys out online. I've been coming here and there where I can when I get off from work. And he says, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not really religious. I said, okay. He says, you know, I'm more spiritual. He says, you know, I just, I just, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know about all God and all that, but I'm just very spiritual. And I said to him, I said, you know what? Let me ask you a question. When it comes to your relationships, what's important to you? Do you, is it important for you to be just kind of know someone at the surface or maybe just get a vibe or is it important to you to actually know the person? And he says, no, I, I need to know people in my relationships. I said, God wants a personal relationship with you. How are you having a personal relationship with God if all you're going is for a spiritual vibe? I said, he's giving you his word. Would you dare to know God and discover everything he's trying to teach you about yourself? My friends... I'm telling you, every promise from God reveals his nature, his goodness, his plans, his purposes for your life. You want to understand life? You want to get direction for life? Look to God and his promises. I'm a product of promises, man. You don't understand my mess, my history. But let me tell you, I know the goodness of God. And every day, I am humbled by that. I am so grateful by that, for that. The last point I want to leave you here today is this. It's that letting go is hard, but holding on makes it harder. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The scriptures portray for us a vivid picture of this woman's faith and why all was well while she was in distress. When her son was lifeless and her distress was at an all-time high. Listen, this woman did the only thing that she could do. Here where I'm coming from. She took, God, she took her son before God's anointed prophet. And she let him go. She trusted him to God. She trusted God to do what 
she couldn't. Instead of holding on to her distress, instead of clinging to her loss, instead of holding her son just one more time, she turned to God and she entrusted the circumstances to him. And in letting go of all that she could do to try and control the circumstances and in turning to God, here's what she did. She opened herself up to a greater possibility with God. Could it be that the reason why you are in this place of anxiousness, in this place of weight in life, in this place of worry, in this place of grinding and, and running this rat race and getting nowhere, could it be it's because you're trying to control what you think is your life? Listen, the reason why some of us live from crisis to crisis and are often in distress is because we're holding on to something that is not ours to control in the first place. Let me give you a scripture and we close with this. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under, the, under God's mighty hand, watch this, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. You know, letting go is not the equivalent of giving up on a dire situation. It's really an act of humility. It's an act of transparency, of true understanding that I, don't, I can't control this and I, I can't change it. But God, nothing's impossible with you. And Lord, I will completely trust you no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what is going on. God, I trust you. See, the, re the reason why this woman was well while in distress was because she did not humble herself as a victim to her circumstances while trying to control them. No, instead she humbled herself before God. The next time you find yourself in distress... Realize that you have an ever-present God who promises to lift you up because he cares for you. Let's stand up here today. For those of you here and those of you joining us online, I want to share with you a sobering thought. Let it go. Let it go. That anxiety, that worry, that stress, that, those fears those hurts, that past, those things that you hold on to, let it go. It's not yours. God says, come to me. Hitch yourself to me. Learn from me. And you will find the rest that you seek, that you believe you can attain by your control. Let it go. My friends, God wants you to live in a perpetual state of rest. Yes, you may grow weary at times. Yes, you may find yourself in distress, but you can rest because you know the place. You know where your, your help comes from. It's from the Lord. Would you let it go today? Would you turn to Him?
Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.